Hello and welcome to episode two of the Five Points Podcast. I'm Matt Glassman and today I'm going to be giving you five points about impeachment, which is everyone's favorite topic in Washington right now. Point one about impeachment is that the Constitution is very clear about impeachment, but it's also not very specific. If you look at the Constitution in Article 1 and Article 2, you'll see the basic terms uh, of the framework of impeachment. Article 1 says the House Representatives shall have the sole power of impeachment. Uh, It also says that the Senate held the sole power to try all impeachments. Uh, And also in Article 2, it says that the President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And so the basic layout of uh, of impeachment is what we all learn in civics class, that if a majority of the House of Representatives votes to impeach uh, someone and then two-thirds of the Senate votes to convict them, then they're removed from office. Uh, a lesser-known provision in the Constitution also gives the Senate the ability to uh, bar uh, removed officers from holding future office in the United States, such that if, for instance, President Trump were removed from office, uh, the Senate could optionally uh, also uh, provide that he could not run for future federal office. And I've seen some people discussing how the Senate might remove the president and he might stand for the 2020 election anyway, but the Senate could prohibit that. Uh, a couple things about this framework. Uh, First, I see people talking about impeachment as if it's a crisis of the Constitution or somehow some sort of breakdown of our system. And I think it's true that impeachment generally is a political crisis in the country. Anytime you have uh, a serious movement to overturn an election and remove the president of the United States from office for wrongdoing, he's done. That's a a potential political crisis uh, and certainly a big deal. But it's not at all a constitutional crisis. Uh, The impeachment powers are in the Constitution uh, they're, they're absolutely a tool Congress can use, and there's an absolute process for this to happen uh, under the Constitution. There's nothing going on here that's extra constitutional or outside the boundaries. I do see a lot of people worry about sort of the conflict of, uh, of, of impeachment and what that might, quote unquote, do to the country. But, you know, here I take the tack that you see uh, James Walner take or, or Josh, Josh Chaffetz, and I'll put links to their stuff in the show notes where, you know, conflict is the basis of our Constitution. Uh, and conflict may not make us feel good. It may, it may feel icky to watch people fight in politics, but this is what the founders intended. They intended a system where uh, different uh, elected officials and appointed officials would be in different branches of the government with different powers, and they would contest uh, the authority uh, to, make, to, to influence public policy. And so impeachment is just one of the tools Congress has to influence the process. Uh, and to fight against uh, power encroachments and malfeasance in the other branches of government. Now, if you want to learn about the details of impeachment at sort of these basic framework levels, I'd recommend uh, uh, CRS's uh, report on it. Uh, it's very good, and I'll put a link to that in, in the show notes. The, the thing I want to talk about is, is two things. One is that the Constitution doesn't specify uh, what is an impeachable offense. I think we probably mostly heard all heard the famous quote, Some people ascribe it to Ford, uh, that impeachment is what 50% of the House plus one say it is. That if you can get that half the House to vote for it, uh, then that's the impeachable offense. And in a certain sense, that's true. Impeachment is totally guided by norms. Uh, It's very easy to impeach a pistol. Uh, All you need is half the House to vote for it, and the leadership of the majority party in the House can easily make that happen 
uh, routinely if they wanted to. Uh, and so that indicates to us that uh, impeachment is really held in place by societal norms, both elite norms and public norms, about what should the removal of the president look like. You can imagine other sort of developments of American history where when an opposition party takes control of the House of Representatives, they just impeach the president as a matter of course in order to lay out the things they don't like about him. That doesn't happen. Uh, we don't have impeachment over policy disagreements typically, uh, and we don't have impeachments typically because one party simply says, I don't like that president. This has been used very rarely in American history. Uh, as you probably know, there's only been two actual impeachments by the House, uh, Andrew Johnson uh, in the wake of the Civil War, and then obviously President Clinton in the late 90s. And of course, they were drafting up articles of impeachment against President Nixon, but he resigned before those were actually uh, moved forward in the House of Representatives. And so what constitutes impeachment? You know, we see this phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors. That doesn't really mean a lot. Uh, the distinction I'd like to draw uh, is is the one about criminal activity. Sometimes you see people say, well, that's not a crime, so you can't impeach someone for it. Uh, and that's more or less ridiculous, again, simply because the House can impeach you for whatever it wants, uh, you know, in, in this sort of vague constitutional understanding of high crimes and misdemeanors. But it also goes against sort of the founders' understanding of why we use impeachment. And I, I would tell you that a crime, a criminal standard for impeachment, is both uh, too broad and too narrow. Uh, it's too uh, broad because... There's plenty of things that, you know, you would consider criminal that you wouldn't worry about uh, as, as an impeachment matter. If the president was driving a car, of course, the president doesn't drive right now, but if the president was driving a car uh, and got a ticket for reckless driving, well, in the state of Virginia or in Maryland, that's a criminal offense. Uh, that's not something we'd ever impeach the president for. But more importantly, the, the criminal activity standard is under-inclusive. And that is that the founder's idea of impeachment was much more focused on uh, abuses of power. Uh, and abuses of official duties in the office. And there's lots of things the president can do uh, that abuse his power uh, that aren't criminal. Uh, for instance, it would be completely legal for the president to start tweeting out the locations and names of American spies abroad. Uh, the president has a right uh, to conduct foreign policy and to declassify anything he wants uh, within the legal framework of his office. And if he wanted to tweet out troop positions uh, in the middle of a war, there'd be nothing illegal about that. But it seems like that would be a self-evident case where the president would need to be removed from office. Likewise, uh, the president has the power to fire officials uh, in the cabinet or other parts of the government. If he were doing that uh, for the purpose of covering up crimes, uh, that might be something where, again, he's not breaking the law, but you would want to remove him. Two other things the founders uh, considered were sort of maladministration and neglect of the office. Uh, maladministration would just be just being a bad job at being chief, chief executive. Uh, you can imagine if the president was sitting around watching television all day and not attending to his duties and really absent uh, from his role in the office, you might want to remove him uh, from office for that, even though he wouldn't be committing any crimes, he wouldn't be committing anything. He would just be sitting around sort of lazily not administering the government. Uh, and even a step beyond that, sort of uh, gross negligence. You can imagine if the president, for instance, one thing about President Trump that has been alleged is that he uses an unsecured phone line uh, that allows uh, a foreign, foreign espionage agencies to uh, listen in on his phone calls. Uh, to me, that's something that is, is, is pretty negligent on the part of the president. If he's using an unsecured phone uh, to have um, confidential and classified conversations, that's something that I think would be very, uh, very much game uh, for, for an impeachment. Uh, the other thing the Constitution's vague about is uh, this issue that you've seen come up in the press a little bit about whether the Senate needs to hold a trial. Uh, we're in sort of an odd spot uh, with impeachment right now in that every impeachment that has happened in American history, the Johnson impeachment, the Clinton impeachment, and the would-have-been Nixon impeachment, has come up under divided government. 
Uh, but it's come up under a very specific type of divided government in which the opposition party controls both the House and Senate. That's not the case right now. Right now, the opposition party, the Democrats, control the House, but not the Senate. And so the question has been raised, if the House were to impeach President Trump, would the Senate be obligated uh, to hold a trial? And, uh, you know, scholars disagree on this and observers disagree on this. The things I would say is, is, is first, the Constitution absolutely does not require a trial. Uh, the spirit of it might, but it says the Senate shall have the sole power to trial impeachments. And so if the Senate wanted to not have a trial, there's nothing in the Constitution that would force them to have a trial. And even more so, there's no mechanism to force them to have a trial uh, if they didn't want to. That said, under the current circumstances, my view is this, and again, people disagree about this, but my view is that the current Senate rules do seem to indicate uh, that they would need to have a trial. Uh, within the Senate rules as they currently exist, uh, the Senate has put in language that makes it pretty clear that when an impeachment comes over, the Senate shall do this and shall do that. Uh, and that, that typically creates a situation where there's no discretion about it. That said, it's very easy to change the rules, uh, not formally in the Senate, but as we know, by things that look like the nuclear option, but you know may or may not fit that exact definition, the Senate can reinterpret its own precedents. So if McConnell didn't want to have a trial, uh, and he had 50 of the senators on his side, uh, it wouldn't be too hard for him to alter the rules uh, to make it so that they would interpret their precedents as not needing to hold a trial. That said, in, altered, in order to alter the rules, you're going to need to at least take one vote in the Senate. Uh, and for many reasons, there might be other you know, senators who are in the majority who are Republicans who aren't interested in disposing of a trial that way. It may not look good for them politically in their home state, and they may prefer to actually have the trial. So whether McConnell would have 50 votes to prevent a trial is a whole other story. Uh, Bob Bauer is really good in this. He wrote a, a lawfare piece uh, a while back that I, essentially I agree with, which is, again, the Constitution doesn't require a trial. The current Senate rules do seem to require a trial, but those rules could be changed uh, if you had a bare majority willing to change them in a public vote. But it looks to me like you have to have at least one uh, public recorded vote on changing those rules if you wanted to uh, avoid a trial. And as a technical matter, avoiding a trial would be rather simple. You could simply table the articles of impeachment, uh, or you could uh, just change the rules so that then you could just not bring up uh, the articles of impeachment if you wanted. And there's a variety of ways these things could be disposed of quickly. Uh, the more interesting point is one that Henry Olson wrote about in the Washington Post this week. Uh, Jonathan Burstein's been talking about this too, is that McConnell might not want to avoid a trial. He might just want to turn a trial into sort of a very partisan show trial for the Republicans. You can imagine a situation where uh, President Trump has been impeached and if the Republicans in the Senate are against convicting him and are staying together very firmly and unified, they might want to just parade in front of this trial a whole bunch of witnesses talking about, for instance, Hunter Biden's dealings in Ukraine uh, and make it sort of a situation where they're putting the Democrats on trial uh, as defenders of the president. And so I think that's a much more likely possibility uh, if the Senate Republicans are unified against impeachment. I think the prospect of canceling the trial or not having a real trial are probably smaller than uh, maybe taking advantage of the fact you're going to have a trial to then put on public display a, a partisan effort uh, to not only defend the president, but to uh, punish the Democrats for having brought this impeachment. Point two about impeachment is that impeachment is a thoroughly political process that takes place in a public sphere uh, within our democracy. That is, you can yell and scream about members, quote unquote, doing the right thing as you see it, uh, whether they should impeach the president or should not impeach the president, whether they should remove him from office or not remove him from office. But members aren't just going to consider 
uh, what is necessarily what they believe the best thing to do. Uh, when members of Congress, or generally all political actors, uh, are thinking about their goals, uh, one thing they're certainly thinking about is good public policy. Should the president be in office or not? But they're also thinking about other things. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, on a lot of members of Congress' mind is, what will happen to me? Will I be reelected if I do this or that? That is, do my constituents, are they going to reward or punish me for this? Uh, second thing they may think about is what is going to happen to my party if I do this or do not do this? And what is going to happen to sort of my future power possibilities? Am I going to have more influence in the government or less influence in the government? Again, in this very complicated public opinion sphere. And so you wouldn't expect members of Congress to just consider what the right thing to do here is uh, because they have other concerns in their mind and namely getting reelected. And some people think that's a bad thing, but it's actually, you know, kind of a good thing. If members of Congress didn't have to listen to their constituents and didn't have to worry about getting removed from office, um, you can say that sometimes they might make choices that were good for the country because they don't have to look, listen to public opinion. But more often, uh, as I think history has been a guide, when leaders don't have to take the public into consideration, more often than doing the right thing, they're going to feel free to do the wrong thing, uh, do things that are for personal gain. And so I think our system you know, isn't perfect. No democracy is. Like they say, it's the least, least bad form of government. Uh, you know, it's the least worst option. But it is the system that most closely aligns the incentives of politicians with the uh, goals of the people, and that's a good thing. Uh, so within this public sphere, you're going to find that members of Congress uh, tend, uh, are, tend to uh, follow public opinion on these things. And that public opinion can be the opinion in their district. It can be in the opinion of other elites in their party. Uh, it can be national opinion. Okay? And so you're going to want to look at public opinion about impeachment. And you know, right now we have all sorts of things going on. The first thing to say is that public opinion about impeachment is really hard to gauge uh, because we don't exactly know what we're looking for. Uh, the question wording is really difficult. Uh, Ariel Edwards-Levy, I'll put a link to her in the show notes, has been very good on this, that it's really hard to poll impeachment. What exactly are you polling? There's a poll that came out yesterday that said something like, oh, 22% of Republicans now support impeaching the president. Uh, and it turns out the question was really about a sort of true hypothetical. It was basically said, if President Trump uh, has done these things, would you support impeachment? And that's fine to ask people that question, but it doesn't really reflect reality. Uh, we don't know uh, if President Trump has done the things he's accused of. But more importantly, those truths are going to be contested. Uh, and most of public opinion is going to revolve around whether you believe the constatation of that truth. And that's going to build into people's opinions. So when you see 22% of Republicans uh, would support impeachment if these things were true. Well, that's kind of the whole game. Do they believe these things are true? Uh, the other thing about impeachment is that uh, public opinion is both going to be an input as to whether impeachment happens. And I think the, the input to watch is sort of the president's approval rating. There's this idea about how you feel about impeachment. We've seen there's been about a 10-point jump in the last couple of days, according to the best polling, and how Democrats feel about impeachment. Uh, which has brought, you know, the, you know, it's sort of into a line with sort of the partisan breakdown in the country. But really, how people feel about impeachment isn't the key question. It's really what's the president's approval rating. If his approval rating starts to drop, uh, that becomes a situation uh, where you might see a lot more minds sort of in the middle and on the right change about uh, impeachment. So do watch the president's approval rating. Uh, but as I was saying, uh, impeachment is also an output on public opinion. Like, what's the consequence of, of impeachment for future political events? How does the public understand the results of impeachment? And you'll find people all over the street on this one. Uh, some people believe that impeachment is sort of the right thing to do, be damned about the effects it has in the 2020 election. Other people think uh, impeachment 
is uh, the right thing to do because it's going to have good effects for the Democrats in the 2020 election. Or there's Republicans who think like the Democrats are making a mistake to impeach because it's going to help them. Uh, one thing I would I would urge you to read is something Dave Hopkins wrote about the impact of impeachment on public opinion yesterday. And I'll, again, I'll link to that in the show notes. But his point was that everyone sort of builds the Clinton impeachment in 98 up into this disaster for the Republicans. But if you kind of actually look at it, it wasn't that big a deal one way or another uh, for its results on the election, uh, either in the 1998 election or 2000 election. And this goes back to another thing that a couple people have mentioned uh, online, which is that impeachment uh, kind of needs to be separated from the scandal itself. Uh, did the Clinton scandal perhaps uh, hurt Clinton? Yes. Did him getting impeached hurt him? It's not clear. Uh, as, a, as a separate matter. And so that's another thing I would watch. But the basic point is that impeachment's political. It's going to take place in this public opinion sphere, and members of Congress are going to get a lot of their information from how the public is feeling about this. Point three about impeachment is that there's a couple of groups of people you're going to want to watch in Congress for how they're reacting to all this stuff. As I said, impeachment takes place in a political sphere, uh, and you know one of the one of the best proofs of this is that uh, uh, Sarah Binder has this this wonderful chart of House Dems uh, that you can look at, which sort of lines them all up based on how conservative or liberal their district is and what their win percentages were, and you can see that all the Democrats left who haven't come out for impeachment are all clustered. Uh, in districts that, unsurprisingly, uh, voted for Trump in 2016 or very narrowly voted against Trump. And that's just a good reminder that uh, district opinion and constituent opinion really does affect members on this. Um, as of two weeks ago, uh, you know, the, it was a little closer to the middle, where the, the Democrats who are mostly in favor of impeachment tend to be ones from very safe liberal districts that had voted overwhelmingly for Clinton in 2016. And so, you know, public opinion does matter, uh, and constituencies do have a huge impact about how members feel about this. And so the three groups you're going to want to watch are the moderate House Democrats, the, the moderate House Republicans, and the Senate Republicans. You're going to want to watch the moderate House Democrats because until the Democratic Party is really totally unified on impeachment, uh, it's not something that they're going to be able to, you know, sort of press an advantage on. If you notice this week, uh, Pelosi announced she was going to have an impeachment inquiry uh, and then they declined to take a vote to sort of formalize this on the House floor. Instead, they're just kind of going to do it in the committee system. Uh, and this is sort of a classic move of leadership uh, in the House. They can control what they vote on the floor, and they don't want to vote uh, for things on the floor. They're going to put their membership or parts of their membership in tough positions. Uh, right now, the Democratic caucus is still divided uh, on this inquiry and certainly on the impeachment of Trump himself. You know, those are sort of two different things. But in either case, uh, if you took the vote on the floor, the Republicans would be unified against this and the Democrats would be split. And say they're split 225 to 10. Well, you're putting those 10 members in a really tough spot. Because if they vote against uh, starting this inquiry, well, then they're dividing the party, which then can become sort of a public opinion uh, sphere thing where people look at it and say, well, look, the, even the Democrats are divided about this. Obviously, this is something that's the extremist Democrats are putting. But again, if those 10 members then vote for the inquiry, they got to go back to their districts, which may be very ambivalent among their constituencies about you know, impeachment, may be very against it. Uh, and, and they may have to you know annoy their constituents in order to vote for this. And so the point is that Pelosi doesn't want to put those members in a bind, and therefore they're not going to take a lot of votes. You can imagine a scenario where all the Democrats were in favor of this inquiry or in favor of outright impeaching the president, and a handful of Republicans were, such as the case that you had a solid Democratic Party 
and 10 Republicans on their side against all the other Republicans. And then, of course, you'd be splitting the Republican Party here and putting those members to a tough vote constantly. Uh, and if that were the case, I can tell you the House Democrats would be voting on every little thing about this to continually divide the Republicans over this. Uh, the House Democrats, they control the chamber, and so therefore they get to decide what to vote on. This right now is something that divides them, and so they're going to minimize the number of votes they take. And so you can watch for that to change. That's watching the House Dems and the moderate House Republicans. If new information comes out and opinion shifts a little bit such that you start to see a few Republicans talking about impeachment, I mean, it's going to be a while before the last Democrats do. You look at some of the Democrats, Colin Peterson in Minnesota 7, his district went for Trump by like 30 points. Uh, Joe Cunningham in South Carolina won. Uh, Kendra, Kendra Hearn in Oklahoma 5. These are very sort of Trumpy districts. Uh, Anthony Brindisi in upstate New York. Uh, and these people are going to be the last ones on sort of the impeachment train. But imagine that they do get on the impeachment train such that the, uh, you know, the new cut line is more towards the Republicans. If we start to see Republicans trickle over in the House who start, you know, saying an inquiry is necessary or this new information makes me think this is a good idea to investigate it. I may not be for impeachment, but I do want to investigate it. Uh, not only is that going to start to tend to divide the Republicans, but again, the Democrats will press this advantage and start taking more votes. But the real people to watch in all this are the Senate Republicans. Um, and there's been sort of a, a little bit of a shift, I would say, this week. Not a big one. Uh, but t as of 10 days ago, I think the party line uh, that almost all the Republican senators are on were that impeachment is a waste of time uh, and there's nothing here to see. And I think you see a slight sort of almost imperceptible change in this. Uh, since the new information has come out about the Ukraine scandal. Uh, a lot of GOP senators went very quiet here. Uh, Congress is going on a recess today for two weeks, and we had a significant number of GOP senators when pressed by reporters were just saying things like, I haven't read the whistleblower report. I don't know. You know, I'll take a look at it over recess, basically trying to avoid talking about this. You only had a handful of senators saying it was actually concerning, but even that is something. Romney came out, and he's very troubled by it. Ben Sass, who had been very quiet about uh President Trump recently uh, said he was troubled by this. Pat Toomey did. Ron Johnson did. And so you saw this little rumblings of senators who, um, you know, weren't forcefully saying this is really important and, you know, maybe the president is, is worthy of impeachment, but they certainly weren't defending the president. And that's a big deal in this public sphere. Uh, public opinion uh, and other elite opinion often depends on cues from other members. And while uh, these members certainly weren't coming out and attacking the president. They really weren't going out and defending them. Now, of course, some were. You saw Lindsey Graham out there, uh, Inhofe out there, and Tillis out there too, really forcefully uh, defending the president, and McConnell saying some, some defensive things about the president too. But we did see a lot more GOP senators who were basically silent about this. Uh, and that, so that might signal you know, a slight shift in opinion. Um, and so those are the people to watch, the moderate House Democrats, the moderate House Republicans, and the Senate Republicans. Point four about impeachment is that elite political opinion, uh, particularly among elected officials, tends to move in large cascades or waves. It's simply not the case that you're going to have like a trickle of Republicans start to support impeachment. Uh, if the president were to be removed from office, which I think is still extremely unlikely, what you would see is that all of a sudden, almost like snapping your fingers, turning on a dime, a massive cascade of Republican senators would come out in favor of removing the president. Uh, and there's a pretty simple reason for this, and that is that there's safety in numbers. Lee Drutman had a good Vox article on this uh, a couple of years ago, and that if you try to, you know, change your opinion on something in, in, in politics and sort of stick your neck out, you're going to be attacked. It's going to be potentially costly for you. 
Uh, but it's much easier if you have other people who are going to hold hands and jump with you at the same time. And so a herd mentality tends to develop. And we saw this uh, earlier this week with the Washington Post op-ed from those seven freshman Democrats. These were seven freshman Democrats who were involved in national security, uh, who all come from sort of swing districts where Trump is pretty popular. And they wrote an op-ed together sort of coming out in favor of an inquiry uh, or coming out in favor of uh, demanding information from the president on the threat of impeaching him. And that op-ed, I think, um, you know, probably wasn't sort of like innocently, you know, crafted by these seven members. I think it was probably uh, produced in part in coordination with the Democratic leadership looking to roll out impeachment. But the bigger point is that they all worked together to write this op-ed. They all put their name on it. And so seven of them at the same time could come out and say we're in favor of impeachment. Uh, and again, this is a safety in numbers thing. If they all do this together, there's less individuals to attack. Uh, and they sort of can collectively, as a herd, move towards this and change opinion without any individual having to stick their neck out on the line. And you saw after that op-ed that came out, you know, whether it was coordinated or not, there was a tidal wave of Democrats who came out in favor of, uh, of, of impeachment or at least an impeachment inquiry. And again, you see this sort of herd mentality. And the same thing is going to be true on the Republican side if and when uh, they decide to remove uh, the president. You may see some, you know, early adopters. You may see someone like Romney come out and say he's in favor of impeachment, but that itself will be sort of a signal to other elites. And uh, this is really how it went with the Nixon impeachment. Nixon was still had the backing of uh, almost all the GOP senators in 1974, right up until the moment when he didn't have the backing. I mean, they sort of flipped on a dime and, and that was it and it was over. So the fact that no Republicans are in favor of impeachment now uh, certainly is an important data point in saying it's unlikely the president will be impeached. But it's simply not the case that we're going to have to wait for this sort of senator by senator over the course of months changing their opinion on this. Uh, if the Republican Party as a collective decides that they're better off without the president, uh, it will happen in a matter of in a matter of days, if not hours, uh, that most of them change their mind and decide to remove him from office. Point five about impeachment is we don't know where any of this is going. Uh, there's way too much certainty right now uh, among pundits and on social media about what are going to be the outcomes uh, of this current uh, potential impeachment. Um, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said, Matt, what do you think the most likely outcome is? I think what I would tell you is that I think a most, you know, the most probable outcome is that we're going to have a party line uh, or close to party line impeachment in the House and then something like a party line acquittal in the Senate. Uh, and that would be the outcome that I think is most probable. But I don't have a lot of confidence in that. And there's a huge range of what could happen here. I think it's entirely possible that this could fizzle in the House and uh, you could end up with never even having an impeachment vote in the House. All the way up to, I think, you know, there's some states of the world where the president ends up resigning or is actually convicted and removed by Republicans. And of course, uh, everything in between. As for its impact in the 2020 election, the same thing I think is true. We just don't know. Uh, there was a David Brooks column today, uh, which I think is pretty exemplary of of sort of how pundits think about this, where he, he basically thinks this is a disaster for Democrats and that the politics of this is going to play right into the president's hand. Totally plausible. I mean, read the article. I think it's it's something that, that, that could be true, uh, but we don't really know. And I think the opposite is also true. A lot of people are now rushing to say, oh, look, Pelosi came out for impeachment and now it's becoming more popular. This is obviously going to be good for the Democrats. And I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, I think if the president is not removed from office and you force some tough votes 
onto members of Congress who are Democrats who come from Trump districts. This could potentially hurt them in the election. But the point is, we just don't know what's going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, and part of the reason we don't know is because we don't have all the information. Uh, things are going to happen. Uh, not only are we going to get new facts coming out, but elites are going to interpret those facts. The public's going to interpret those facts. Um, this is the kind of thing where, you know, ex ante, you might say, well, this is a big scandal. This is a big deal. And public opinion is really going to move on this. That said, like public opinion is pretty locked in about the president. And we're sort of in a in a partisan age where it's not clear that anything is going to move public opinion a ton. Uh, even more so and important to remember is that things that have nothing to do with this are going to affect public opinion. If there's a recession this fall, uh, say unemployment was back up to 7% and the market had tanked, uh, you know, you're going to have approval of the president dropping for reasons completely unrelated to impeachment. And I can tell you this, if the president's approval rating drops in the 20s, like say Bush's did uh, during the financial crisis, or even in the low 30s, like it did after Katrina, all of a sudden impeachment becomes much more palatable to Republicans uh, once the president is much more unpopular even among Republicans. Again, having nothing to do with the actual scandal underlying impeachment. Uh, when we think about impeachment that way, what you're thinking about is a collective decision, in this case by the Republicans, do we want to remove the president and make Pence president? Uh, and so, you know, a lot of things there can have impacts that we just don't know. Uh, we don't know what public response is going to be to these scandals. We don't know what elite response is going to be. And most importantly, we don't know what facts are going to come out. Um, and you can imagine the facts going uh, either way. One is there's nothing more here that can be proven or that exists. And so this is what it is. Uh, the other is much more damning information comes out uh, about the president uh, and, and, and things change going forward. So, you know, like I would uh, routinely um, suggest, uh, don't be too sure of anything in politics. Uh, the window is wide open for a wide array of things to happen here, both on the actual impeachment, which I think it's a little safer bet to say something like the president's probably not going to be removed from office. But in terms of what the impact of an impeachment is going to be going forward, uh, we just don't know. We can say things like, ah, it probably won't even have that big of an impact. Uh, but even again, that is not a particularly uh, safe bet. Okay, well, that's five points, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.